Hey, dear listeners, quick content warning for this episode. A uh, bit of a different flavor this time, a bit of a departure. It's kind of uh, dark, and uh, we talk uh, at length about some troubling uh, concepts and what uh, really uh, gets us uh, disturbed. So if that's not quite your flavor, feel free to come back to this one uh, when you're in the mood for it. Just a fair warning for you. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome once again to another episode of Hey, I Have Got an Idea Show. Nice enunciation. That is my brother, Mason Particularity Williams. And that's my brother, Luke eh, Williams. That's right. I, I, I'm indifferent. I'm the indifferent one. Well, I mean, that's your nickname. Whenever anybody goes, eh, you go, yeah. Yeah, everybody assumes that I'm the indifferent one because of my uh, my cool persona. Shades? Yeah, my, and my shades. I've got really You are cool the personification of the shades. sunglasses emoji. I am eight right bracket, or capital B nice. right bracket, depending on... All right. So yeah, no, that's cool. So speaking of things you wear at night when it's scary, what are we doing today, Luke? Oh, that was an amazing segue. You, I am you, on fire. You wear them because things are scary, and you want to just black them out a little bit more. Yeah, like I wear my sunglasses at night because there's a Dracula, and if I can't see him, he can't see me. Right. Yeah, um, that's how that song goes. Mason, let's let's before we before we say what we're doing. Let's say a little bit more about who okay. we are. And actually, no, let's just let's just introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Luke. No, you're not. No, all right. So, eh. <laughs> so uh, we're inventors. We're we're we super are. smart guys, and we pretty much we are going to make something right now before your very ears. Just spitballing. We we're just spitballing yes. at each other the whole. That's what we've been the doing this whole, whole time. episode. Okay, just rolling a ball. Of ideas up yep. until we have a snow person. Of spit. Of spit. And ideas. And uh, this week it's a horror movie because yes. Josh wants to do a horror movie if you are listening because you are a fan of Diamanda Hagen Ooh. and or uh, Omega who will be joining her. Uh, she'll be coming up after we, you know, we, we got we to gotta make something good. Yeah, we got to have something to pitch to her. And then we're going to just, like, do a quick, quick little, like, uh, uh, like, psych ourselves out at the water cooler. Then when we come back from the water cooler, we're going to, we're going to have our pitch ready. Thank you for describing the structure of the show. That's our format. up to speed. Let's do this thing. Okay, horror. Horror. What makes horror? What are the good horror movies? What are the bad horror movies? What is scary? Luke, go. Well, I think uh, there is a lot of cultural and generational separation that you've got different things that are scary for different reasons at different times. Mm -hmm. If you go back uh, far enough, 
Uh, then you have some more problematic films about how, like, Birth of a Nation, how, like, black people were scary. Yeah. I don't think that Birth of a Nation qualifies as a horror movie. So Just because something is scary to look at does not mean it is a horror movie. Uh, no, it is not a very good example of a horror movie, but it highlights something kind of interesting. Uh, okay. Within it, the monster of that time was uh, was black people, which is terrible. And we have the proper uh, way to look at that now, that that is, uh, hopefully, everyone listening, you agree with this, that black people are monsters, and it's horrible that we did that. And that's kind of a horror of human nature. I, I love that the first actual movie you bring up is Birth of a Nation, which, I, have you seen that movie? Because I haven't. I haven't seen all of it, but I know a, a fair bit about it. And it's unfortunate okay. uh, place in film history because of new techniques used and stuff like that. But I wanted to contrast that with Get Out, which ah, is a... The opposite movie. Pretty pretty well an opposite movie because, you know, you, fa- fa- you, know, you flash forward, fast forward in a flash to modern fat day. Fat forward, which is what you said. A fat forward? Yeah, I believe you said fat forward. So you fat forward to today when Get Out uh-huh. is uh, is relevant and a not specifically scary horror movie, but a very relevant horror movie for sure. creepy undertones and, and, and whatnot. Oh, okay. Well, that's something that I want to uh, get into with this. Like, it's okay. a well-known piece of trivia that, like, during some presidential administrations, vampire movies are more common. In other presidential administrations, zombie movies are more common. And that is perceived to be because of the opposing fears, either the, uh, the fear of elites who are just going to prey upon the common people, or the fear of, like, mindless masses who are hmm. just going to, sh- you know, shove you off the cliff. Uh, and, uh, so a really good horror movie, I would argue, is not actually about a big scary guy who's going to hack you in half with a machete. It is actually about some scary thing that people are actually scared of, and the monster is uh, a metaphor of some sort. Right. Whatever the metaphor is that, uh, possibly is not so obvious at the time is the thing that they're actually afraid of. If there's something else you're like narrowing in on there, that yeah. that's can be effective on another level. Um, okay, so what are people afraid of right now that we can capitalize uh, on? Too many things, and also that is not the way I want to frame this right now either because, like, hey, uh, nuclear threats and school shootings are scary and we're, like, pretty uh, aware of them right now. I don't really want to capitalize on either well, of those. I mean, that's that's also not going to make our movie timeless. Like, let's pick something that people are always afraid of, like old age. Hmm. Or abandonment. Uh, I can think of movies that feature loneliness or conversations about aging or even, like, some Black Mirror episodes and stuff uh, that, like, deal with uh, those sorts of topics. And you can get on to something kind of creepy there. Mm. Um, I guess, I guess for our horror movie, we want to really invent something. It's got to be a f- pretty fresh take. Okay. Okay. Um, do we want to have this be like a more realistic 
oh, it's scary because there's like a guy with a knife? Or do we want to go supernatural? It's like, oh, no, you know, here comes the Dibbuk. Mm. Um, I want to keep it closer to real, yeah. Okay, okay, so uh, keep the manticores to a minimum, all right. I think that those are cool, but you get corny with them pretty quickly. Uh, the the humanizing of them is more interesting to me. You know, like uh, uh, taking, taking scary monsters and making them uh, fully relatable by the time the movie's done. That's a feat. Uh, mm. And putting someone in a scary costume and having them go oogity boogity is lazy, right? Uh, okay, okay. Uh, how about this? Uh, here's the structure of your movie. Uh, at the start of it, like, oh, no, there's this serial killer and, you know, he's got a knife and he's scaring people, cutting up girls, whatever. And so our plucky heroes band together to kick his ass. But in so doing, like, they become more and more monstrous and more villainous and more bloodthirsty themselves and but by the time they get to the end, like they've hacked this guy apart and just they've taken vicious pleasure in torturing him to death. And then like at the end, like you have his quote unquote victims come out and they're covered in fake blood and they're like, what the shit did you do? This was a practical joke. This is corn syrup. Oh, my God. You killed an innocent man. You mm, monsters. Mm-hmm. OK, um, uh, uh, some, uh. something. Oh, I mean, the problem there is hard to do sequels. Yes, true. Um, I can't talk to you too much about different horror stories without spoiling other things, but uh, there's at least two other things I want to talk about before we delve much deeper into our bo- like the real like concept that we're going to bring to the table here. Um, I think that was pretty rock solid. Yeah, you know, I mean, by all means, go ahead. No, no, no. I just want to. I just have more stuff I want to talk about before we we sure, put, sure, put sure. it all, all right, together. All right, you were yeah. You, no, stomp all over it. No, you you are very very you're, good. You're the true monster here. <laughs> I hope you realize, Mason. I mean this. You are very very good at taking the parts and hot gluing them together. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, keep keeping it all into one concise package. So it's one of my many jobs that I do on this podcast. <laughs> yes. So one thing I want to mention is: Did you ever see uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, I am philosophically opposed to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, can you explain? Uh, I don't approve of you know anything Texas. that acknowledges the existence <laughs> of Texas. Yes. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> uh here's uh here's what i'll say uh it is mostly a somewhat uh i won't say predictable but it there's a lot of shocking things and and it's a slasher for sure it's it it has some creepy is stuff it really a slasher if you're using a chainsaw like is that a slash it's a buzz buzz slash slash sure uh okay. it's official title well like like D D terms if you get hit with a chainsaw are you taking it's, slashing damage? you're taking chain damage you're taking chain damage so okay so uh there was lots of creepy stuff like they were you know cannibalistic and like making stuff out of bones and stuff and there was a creepy hitchhiker and like it was all that kind of stuff sure. but the main thing that i remember being the scariest moment of the movie for me and this is more of a film technique than it is anything else, but I want to highlight it because it's, it's still to this day one of the most memorable horror movie moments for me. Um, uh-huh. So she, this girl, 
uh, is I don't remember if she was captive or if she's if she and then she escaped or she just was looking in the wrong place. The the Leatherface chainsaw guy is chasing after her, coming very close to hitting her a couple of times. They literally just have them running through a field for like two solid minutes for a bunch of different shots. And she gets to a gas station that is okay. nearby. She goes inside the gas station screaming bloody murder. Mm-hmm. And uh, like bloody murder, bloody no, murder. No, just like, oh, you got to help. You got to help. Um, okay. And uh, we don't know what happened to the chainsaw guy. Right. Right. And the there's just some plucky attendant there at the at the behind the counter who I think maybe he grabs an axe or a gun or whatever and goes out the front door and she literally just like so freaked out is clambered into a corner like sitting on the floor up against the wall like looking through the door which is just mm-hmm. this single black rectangle in the frame right you're just looking out into the night sky and you're mm-hmm. seeing nothing through that door for a solid i want to say 10 seconds complete silence and then what wow. happens next is a red truck slowly backs in from the left side of the door frame. Uh, so you don't fully process what happens next until you see like a tail light. And I, that was when I started breathing again <laughs> <laughs> because it was, it was just a suspense moment, but it was that moment of, you know, you're thinking maybe the guy will come in bloodied because he found the, the chainsaw guy or uh, Leatherface himself would come through. Either way, those are your two predictions. It is not the back of a truck. Right. So it's a subverted expectation. Right. It's a suspense moment. But also it's you don't have time to process for the first few seconds what the form of the thing actually is. Hmm. So in my mind, that's the most effective shot of the movie. But, you know, I'm sure others would disagree. Okay, okay. Would that be lessened if instead of, like, a red pickup truck, it was something that you did not expect to be in this setting, like an African elephant? Ooh. And just, like, very slowly coming into the frame. Like, first you see the trunk, and you're like, what the hell is that? And then you just see, like, the head and the ear and you're like that's an african elephant they're not native to texas what the hell and, and you know okay here's i think the thing that would be the most off-putting about <laughs> leatherface is riding it <laughs> no 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 i think that the surrealism of that would be interesting very lynchian uh yeah. but the thing that i think would be most frustrating next if if it was after that is you go outside and the gas station attendant is like oh that's just peanut yeah, he, we, we've just taken on peanut back in these parts or whatever. And then you just have a couple of moments to process, like, they have what happened elephant. to the threat in this scene? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, that would be a very interesting frustration. Yeah, it's like, motherfucker, I told you there was a murderer with a chainsaw. Why are you out here playing with your packeter? So that would be fascinating. Uh, the explanation, whether it comes or not, like if the elephant, if the elephant comes into scene, then goes away, and then she goes outside, and neither of them are there, that's Lynchian. That's like that you'd never speak of the elephant again. That's Lynchian. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> what I, what I would love, and like I, I want, if we can, like this is something that we could incorporate into our movie is 
imagine like there's this horror movie scenario going on and very often it's a trope in this sort of thing where the authorities don't believe you like there's just oh what you saw was just gang members on pcp uh it wasn't really you know, like a super strong guy who was flipping over a car to get to you mm-hmm. or like they're there you know you're delusional your sister isn't alive just you know sit over here in the corner and try and calm down right but not I want to see a movie where the authority figures are not merely dismissive, not merely like ignorant or refusing to acknowledge. I want to see something where they're like actively refusing to acknowledge the horror that is right in front of their faces because that i think is almost scarier Mm. when they're just like oh yeah this is a thing that happens sometimes don't worry about it anyway how was math class honey it's like no mom get up like there's a that billy's dead i've got his hand right here and he's like oh no that's nice uh you know don't be late for ballet class yeah Oh, but then, then that warrants, okay, because that concept is scary, but then the justification for that, like the actual motivation for, or explanation, usually would then follow that it's either a simulation or uh, mm. a robo-mom or, uh, you know, something else is amiss that has some kind of explanation. Or, or they're in on it, and, like, yeah. this whole time they've been farming okay. you. Like, this okay. whole thing okay. is like a Truman so, show for victims. Right, yeah. right, right. So those are effectively the predictable answers. Mm-hmm. Can we come up with a new one? Okay, some reason for this Kafka-esque refusal to acknowledge the horror that is right in front of your face, oh, oh, and therefore sorry. making it more horrifying. Sorry, I think I can think of another one. Which is uh, uh, just the uh, psychopathy of that person, like mm. a a, de- a hardwired denial factor. Uh, I I'm not sure if this comes up, but I would want to say the mother in Carrie. I think she mm. might do that at some point, like a perfectly rational request from the daughter, and the mom's like, "Oh, well, that's you know that." boys only want one thing so or something like that i think i think it's in there okay i tell you the scene i want to see is i want to see the mom like preparing dinner like like make making i don't know pancakes or something yeah uh and then like horrific event is happening and like there's blood that's like dripping down like on her and on the stove and she just refuses to acknowledge it. And so she's like smiling and holding out the pancakes, but the blood is on like on her face and on the pancakes. And she's still just smiling and holding them out to be eaten. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, like, like her breakfast programming was so strong that That she was just like, I have made pancakes here, eat the pancakes. And it's like, mother, you are literally covered in the blood of your own son. What is going on? And she's just like, you have such a vivid imagination. You should write that into a story. Okay. I think I have our premise. Okay. What if this was a story of a mother that was essentially like the uh the super fan in misery okay and and her hardwiring her uh <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and she exactly does misery but to real life willem dafoe 
No. Why? No, I'm an actor. That wasn't real. Oh, you actually broke my foot. Uh, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. I'm. Continue. I'm. I'm saying like her maternal sense of wanting to provide was okay. stronger than her actual uh, uh, best interest for her children. So okay. yeah. essentially, some like a choice comes along. Like, oh, you know, we're going to go to school now. And she's like, oh, but don't you know what's outside? Like, dangerous things. Don't worry. I'll keep you safe in here and we'll homeschool now or something like that. Like, that could get kind of scary. Sure, sure. And then Uh, then you could have your your scene like that where there's just this denial blackout of anything except providing. Now, much depends here on the age of the kids, because it's a very different horror movie if they're five versus if they're 10 versus if they're 16. Now, I think I'm picturing in my head like 16 year old daughter, 10 year old son or something like that. Okay, we get the range. Good, good, good. Yeah, you have enough of a range that it's definitely awkward, but you have a little bit of the puberty angle uh okay now is the father or is there another uh family member who is in the picture who is also an authority figure or is mom the be-all end-all i think that the father figure like like triggered part of this okay and i think that the father figure died but the kids like see her talking to him still or, like, maybe he left the family or, like, he was abusive or something. Oh, no, no, no. Here's the thing is he was abusive and he was, like, abusing maybe one or both of the kids or abusing the mom. She snaps and she kills him, but afterwards refuses to acknowledge that that's what happened. Mm. So she's keeping it a secret from her kids that this is what happened. She keeps saying, oh, he's gone away on business. He'll be back. In the meantime, I have made you this. I've made you that. Whatever. So, Mason, I think we have a problem. Hit me. Um, This is not portraying mental illness very well, is it? Shit. Yeah, we don't want to wind up like Psycho, where it's like, hey, this person has a, you know, over-the-top version of a real-life mental illness, therefore they're a terrible monster. It's like, yeah, no, we don't want that. Especially not to, like, abuse victims and people who have PTSD. Like, uh, far be it for me to demonize them. Right. That's going to be bad. We don't want that to be the monster. Now, but by the same token frequently and not always but frequently tragedies can happen because of untreated mental illnesses that you know go awry and stuff like that so Granted. uh we don't necessarily want to say that that can't happen either i think that maybe there's a middle ground here where we make sure to include like the kids suggest therapy uh doctor suggests some meds that she chooses not to take or something like that and then we might get our write off is that Well too- we've we've kind of written ourselves into a corner here cuz we specified that we don't want to include so much of the supernatural but we also specified that we don't want it to be a crazy person that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for other horror movie topics Shit Ah because if it's not a crazy person and it's not magic, you're limited to like Cujo. Uh, can you? Or, or possibly the weather a la Day After Tomorrow, if you want to count that as a horror flick. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, if it was just a, an outbreak or the weather or something like that, then you have, but, you know, you have that, but then you don't have a good villain per se. And Ooh, you know what makes a good villain? What's that? The government. Okay, mm. uh, here's here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. You ready? Uh, a, a city very much like oh, I don't know, Flint, Michigan. Okay. There's something going on, maybe with the power lines, maybe with the water, maybe like uh, there's there's something or other that's fucking people up, maybe killing people. Uh, maybe it's secretly a black ops training exercise where they're training on civilians. Maybe there's like untreated psychos who are getting away with murders for whatever reason because their dads are famous, whatever. But uh, there's this thing going on and more horrifying than the problems that are happening, the deaths, is the fact that faceless bureaucrats are very matter-of-factly refusing to acknowledge that anything is going on and indeed actively punishing anyone who tries to be a whistleblower. That's a good premise. Do we have a do we have a way to play that out? Uh well, you just got to get a big enough whistle to blow. Uh it, even if you can't like raise awareness uh within your even your own nation, like it's the 21st century you get on the internet and you get people worried for you in like another country mm-hmm. uh and like then you get like international pressure maybe uh so that the country you're in which i mean this is going to be mainstream let's assume it's the u.s mm. uh they they uh can't cover it up enough because you've got like the equivalent of your edward snowdens or so forth right i would like to see a story like that play out with your your a plot with the the main protagonist trying to like uh, get get to the bottom of this from the inside, uh, a sort of a B plot from you know the villainous government or whoever that you know that comes in later on in the in the story. Yeah, um, so like A plot is the actual horror, like oh my god, people are dying. Mm-hmm. B plot is in order to stop this, we need to get the word out, and we are actively being suppressed. The only way to do this is to get somebody out there who's got a big enough whistle to blow, but that is effectively them uh, committing like uh, the equivalent of suicide because like they have to leave and they can't ever come back, like. Edward, mm. again, bringing back Edward Snowden, where he's, like, trapped in an embassy for the rest of his life or mm. whatever the fuck is going on with him. I admit I don't follow politics. <laughs> but the uh, – I'm th- I'm talking also about a C-plot where oh, – C-plot. Where somebody got the initial message from, uh-huh. so, from wherever. Oh, I don't know. Maybe let's say Ireland. Um, okay. And uh, so this Irish person – catches this random message and they it it pick it piques their interest enough that they specifically start looking into it deeper and deeper and that's like the it's the story of that one person who's trying to crack the case from the outside and and they raise awareness for it on their super popular youtube channel is that what you're getting at i just sort of you know i love you my brother you're a whore i'm I just, you know, made point of making it relatable, just in case, you know, we happen to see some Irish friends at the water cooler. <laughs> You're the uh, worst. So, so uh, what's what is the thing? Okay, okay. Uh, let's see. What is what, a what, big okay, scary thing? What, what if it was 
uh, regardless of where it started from, where it stemmed from, what if it was a sort of a social, uh, 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 contagious condition, but it's like a mental condition of sorts where it triggers this, like, uh, this really strong denial of something and then like a protective instinct in and I, I i got i got the thing i got the thing what, what is it uh the reason why the government's covering this up is they were working on a biological agent to use as a weapon of war which is against the geneva conventions so they gotta lock this shit down they gotta make it uh you know classified and they gotta make sure no one's aware that this thing has had this breach. But what it is is it's a genetically modified variant of rabies. And like uh it actual rabies, you know, once you get it, you know, uh after after a while, it's incurable. You're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Uh in humans normally it doesn't cause like the the rage that you see in uh in like dogs, mm-hmm. but it does cause you to become like hydrophobic. Uh you're gonna be like actively trying to refuse medical help. And yeah, it is gonna drive you crazy in a way that I think does not actually stigmatize mental illness because mm. I think it's kind of okay to stigmatize people who are, you know, dying of rabies. Like I think that's that's probably a group that we could stand to piss off. I don't know. Yeah, and you know what? I want to mention something else. I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, uh-huh. What about a, the concept of, um, like, right now, you see this in modern society that there are those that, like, really latch on to, like, conspiracy theories and believe them super hard, right? Chemtrails and flat earths and whatnot, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, the chemtrails more, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm not a flat earther. I, I I will kill that bit here. But, um, you, you, well, I mean, there are parts of the Earth that are flat. Of course. So you've got it's peop- partially flat. It's a partially flat Earth. You've got people that uh that are just like contrarian to rationality, and that they just absolutely no matter what you say, they're going to stick to their guns about this 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 belief that's just too far gone. And um, that seems to be a part of human nature that, like, you sometimes they get a, a wire crossed that that happens. But, like, what if that was accurately, you know, provable to be false? And then it was, oh, you've got a case of this uh, hyper contrarianism or whatever. Like, you got this condition that your brain is is just doing that to you because of X, Y, or Z. And I, okay. I apologize if there is research on this that I, I am ignorant of. Uh, but then there was – it was able to be treated to, to some extent. Okay, okay. Let me hit you with this. Marijuana. Uh, we all know that in certain cases when you smoke weed, mm-hmm. uh, you have stupid-ass ideas, i.e., oh, what if the universe is actually just God's dandruff? Right. And then for whatever reason, you think that's super profound. Right. Uh, the concept of stupid ideas seeming profound is chemically triggered. So therefore it follows that if you could isolate out the specific chemical that does that, you could have just that, right? Right. So you get that into the brain and none of the other symptoms of THC, but you do have 
what if the whole universe is actually a simulation and you become so obsessed with the idea and it seems so meaningful and so profound regardless of how little sense it makes and that's the fucking like drug or biological agent that's going around and fucking people up so what if so what if this was actually uh controlling the people to now this does this is sounding more and more like a conspiracy theory but what if it was controlling the people to like greater subservience and trusting the government hmm. wherein okay. the okay. only thing that they are doing that is like actively evil in this case is literally poisoning people to right. trust so, the government. So it's more. a biological agent that is intended to make people subservient and intended to make them good little productive workers who don't question the figures of authority. Yeah. But maybe in one in a hundred people, it works too well and they become so insistent that everything oh, is shit. normal that they are unable to respond to an emergency i.e. you just ran over Billy with the lawnmower but you can't acknowledge that he's bleeding out because that wouldn't be normal shit that's good man because you know what else is good about that is that like that can easily tell all these other stories like you could set a whole series in that world mm-hmm with a oh, bunch oh, of different okay, stories. Okay, so here's, here's our thing. The delivery agent, let's say it's in the water. If you put it in the air, it's too hard to control. Right. So our heroes are people who, like, just don't drink enough water. And maybe, like, at the beginning, you have someone chastising them. It's like, you're so dehydrated. You're always drinking soda. You should drink more water. It's good for you. And, like, you got some people, and they think they're safe because they're using, like, filters, Brita filters. But, no, this stuff goes right through Brita filters. The only cure is you got to make sure you're drinking stuff that was bottled outside of this city. That's real good, man. Okay, yeah, I, I'm feeling good about this. Now, speaking of water. <laughs> good segue, yeah! You know what I like are non-tampered-with water coolers sitting just over there. Let's mm. go head on over to the water cooler, my brother. Absolutely. Hey, dear listeners, we're going to get to our special guests, uh, Diamond Hagen and the Omega Geek, in just a second here. Uh, I just wanted to uh, talk to you for a quick second. Uh, I want to let you know if you want to make a suggestion for a topic in the future, we are still taking suggestions. Uh, if it's uh, something we haven't tackled already, feel free to tweet at us, H-I-G-A-I show. Uh, or send us an email, show at gmail.com. I'm happy to announce to you that I am working on an album. Uh, I have officially gotten far enough along with it that I'm very excited for uh, when it will release. It's still a ways away, maybe like approaching halfway done. Uh, probably won't be ready until late summer, early fall, or something like that. Uh, but I wanted to breathe some life into this uh, to put some more pressure on myself for deadlines. So look forward to sharing that with you. There's some really funny, awesome, fun stuff in it. I think you're really going to like it. Uh, also, if you haven't checked out Mason's webcomic in a while, forwardcomic.com, uh, I recommend you check it out. It's going pretty well, but that's also what Mason's working on. So we're, we both have our, our own side projects apart from, hey, I've got an idea show. Another thing is, is that this is where our ads go. If you want to advertise with us, just check out advertisecast.com slash 2493 or shoot me an email about it and we can work something out. Uh, here's an ad swap we're doing with uh, two other wonderful podcasts. They're going to go right here. Get Jake to Space is a podcast about why I, Jake Smith, should be the next human being to go into space. How am I going to do it? Just regular podcast stuff. I'm going to 
invite my friends on and interview them. I'm going to write fiction about space. I'm going to just list a bunch of movies and books that I've seen and read and stuff. If any of that sounds interesting to you, you have bad taste in things, but I appreciate it. So come check me out. Get Jake the Space. We've all been there. Something annoys you, you shout about it, but people don't really listen. They don't seem to care. We're Things Wrong With Things, and we do care. Come to us and we can help you with all your ranting and raving needs, giving you the closure you so sorely deserve. You can find us at wrongthing.net, at wrongthings on Twitter, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Things Wrong With Things, because there are things wrong with things. Joining us for the second half of our episode on horror movie are some experts that we've brought into the show. This is Diamanda Hagen and the Omega Geek. Ladies, welcome to the show. Hello. We fooled them. They think that we're experts. I'm an expert. Well, I've seen a lot of them. I know that uh, you've watched more horror than we have. We are, uh, you know. We in, we pretended for a little while. Uh, we've seen a, a, a flick or two. Uh, but uh, what have we referenced so far, Mason? We've referenced uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Scream, Cabin yep. in the Woods. Yep. And I, th- yep. I think that was it. That was as much of a touchstone as we had. So. Well, I mean, there's the stuff that everybody knows, like your Jasons and your Freddies and so forth. Right, right. Um, I, watched the, um, I just watched The Ritual earlier today. Okay. Oh, was it good? Yeah, the ritual was fine. It's about these English guys going in, uh, like backpacking in Scandinavia and getting hunted down by some mythic Viking creature. Nice. A, a, a Viking? Uh, no, mythic Viking creature. It's from the mythology, but it's oh, not a Viking. Oh, okay, okay. That, Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, if it was just being hunted down by like by a Viking hunter of sorts, like kind of like that. That's just some lunatic with an axe. Yeah, like that's that trope. Admittedly, from, still a good premise, but that, probably not as good. That trope from Jumanji of the hunter, but it's it's you know a Viking. That would be something interesting. All right, but um, before we get going, there's just one thing that I would I would love to do for a quick second here, um, Mason. If if you and I could just kindly just take off our headphones for a quick second. And if okay. Diamanda and Omega, if you would just kindly say a couple of words just for a second. All right. Just just for just for two seconds. All right. Here we go. I OK. Headphones off. Go ahead. Whatever um, you'd like. You have the floor. Ha ha. Now we have the floor. So we want to talk about global warming, I guess. No, I didn't. Cats are ignoring me. Not oh. fair. All right. All right. Mason, are you back? Oh, now I have to figure out how I'm going to get him back. Mason, Mason, come back. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm back. No, I, I was actually looking at this Skype and I saw your icon pop up as a right. person talking. Okay, so perfect, 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 perfect. I'm clever. All right, now, um, uh, Diamanda and Omega, uh, did you happen to talk about men? No. No. Oh, Bechdel test passed, finally. Fuck yes, we did it. <laughs> We're talking about cats. It took over a year, but we did it. Honestly, I don't for us. to each other. We, we were like discussing, using the, we were talking separately. Ah, well, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> I'm going to say that counts. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what we've come up with so far. Yes. Um, Mason, I did the last, the detailing for the last couple of guests. If you would love to, and I know you would, do you want to just I lay would. out what we've gotten so far, more or less? Okay. So my thing is like, 
uh, a good horror movie, it's not just about, oh no, here's a dangerous thing. It has some sort of larger theme to it, right? Uh, so my, my concept, our concept, uh, was what, what the scariest thing is, and that's apathy in the face of true danger, not being able to convince someone else that there is danger there, perhaps not because they're crazy or because they think you're crazy, but just because there's a structural thing there. So, uh, we, we had this concept where, uh, for whatever reason, maybe population control, uh, the government is putting like chemicals in the water supply. So most people getting exposed to the tap water and you can't, your Brita filter is not going to save you. It cuts right through that. So in this town, there's these chemicals in the water that make you just, it's a psychotropic thing. It makes you unable to respond to anything that's unusual or dangerous. Like the, the scene that I had in my head particularly is the mother like preparing dinner uh, or breakfast or whatever for her family. And she like cuts herself but because that would be out of the ordinary, she isn't able to respond to it. So she just continues preparing dinner and you see her like holding out the food and it's covered in her own blood. And she's like all pale and like splashed with her own uh, blood. And she says, what's wrong? Go ahead and eat. This is good. And so you've got to have like your... Um, your protagonists, people who, for whatever reason, aren't in contact with a lot of tap water, such as, for example, local homeless person or somebody who's like just a nasty person who's always drinking bottled beverages and like never washes their hands after they go to the bathroom. And they're the only ones who notice that there's, you know, terrible shit happening in this town. Uh, and then, of course, you uh, you bring in the government agents trying to shut down the whole thing because it was too strong. It didn't work out the way they wanted. And they're just trying to silence anybody who's trying to get the word out. So you have a a town full of people who are just unable to respond to basic danger. They're literally just cannon fodder. And you've got a couple of plucky protagonists who are trying to be whistleblowers. And you got government agents who are just trying to take them out. Mm -hmm. the, um your structure sounds a bit like the paranoid uh, paranoid films of the 50s to the 70s, the ones that were supposed to be metaphors for communist takeovers, like the pod people and stuff like that, hmm. with a bit like uh, with the water elements lifted straight from the taint. The, the main flaw in your structure, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, is that there's gonna, it's going to be very difficult to get actual fear out of it because the people in the town who are so apathetic that they that they cannot be the object of fear. The object of fear is going to have to be the the government or something or something like that. And it's going to be a lot harder to construct scares than uh, the the you you, ha you would have to make the townspeople more active in order to make it work as a horror. Unless you're very skilled. Hmm. Oh, fair, fair. Because what you're describing is actually pretty physiologically possible. Supposing that you had a custom chemical. That would attack the HPA axis in the brain, uh, axis in the brain, and what that would do is that would stop a whole bunch of different things from happening neurotransmitter-wise. Um, what you're talking about, this apathy, is would be lack of arousal, and in psychology, we use the word arousal, not like sexual arousal. Right. Anytime attention is paid, things are happening. There's physiological responses in the body. Your heart rate goes up. You're responding to stress. So basically, what that would do would it, it would this chemical would damage that axis. So that would be, would be really normal for people with impaired arousal to not be able to recognize I'm in a bad situation, I sh I'm bleeding, this is a really horrible thing, 
Mm -hmm. Oh, well, everything's probably fine. And what I think you could do is I think you could have maybe, there would have to be a reason why this is happening. And I would recommend a large pharmaceutical company is testing for a new drug, maybe a new psychotropic drug. Oh, that's a much better bad guy. I I like big pharma. Mm -hmm. Basically, some of the people, suppose you already had, suppose you already were low on apathy anyway, you were a low arousal kind of person. It may be that in a certain um, pop, a certain part of the population, you'd find a variant spectrum for how this is affecting people. So a small variant part of the, of the population who already had impaired empathy or impaired arousal might go completely in the other direction. And you would have someone who is completely paranoid. Um, some of the other neurotransmitters are taking over for norepinephrine and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Okay, so most of the population is cannon fodder and like one or two people are just going ape shit on them. Yeah, they went the other direction. They went pure like dopamine fight or flight kind of thing. Mm, love it, love it. Uh, being the person to bring up parallels again, that is what happened to the planet Miranda in, um, in Serenity. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. That that is almost exactly it. So we just take it out of the Firefly universe and put it in small town USA or whatever. And yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, and the and the the thing about some people going violent is 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 an easy way to to actually get a more immediate form of horror out of it rather than just uh, a much more nebulous form, which whenever everyone's peaceful, the mm-hmm. it, it, it makes it makes your job easier, making a successful horror film. It will be better to to avoid, you know, the, oh, my God, it's Big Pharma. They might not even be aware that this is happening, that this might be some kind of steam or some kind of runoff that's gotten into the environment. And once they realize, oh, shoot, we've got a major containment leak here, we have major people affected, then they choose to go ball to the wall, James Bond villain about it, rather than responding appropriately. Right, right. Because I was going to say, this is not a pharmaceutical trial in this case. This sounds more like, oops, we got something in the water table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, and if you wanted to go completely mad with this, you could just rip off the plot to Empire of the Ants, where it's some sort of radiation gets dropped in its water. And then it makes the, the, um, the ants grow super intelligent and giant, and they take over a sugar factory. Mm-hmm. And they... They start blasting people with ant pheromones to make basically enslave them like ants really do to, to aphids. Oh. And mm-hmm. the entire population is controlled by the ants. It's a really great movie and it's got Joan Collins in it. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I want to mention too that uh, since you mentioned uh, uh, the taint, Diamanda, I, I Googled it. I don't recommend Googling the taint. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> YouTube because we did a review of that was the first review that we did together when oh, we first met. Excellent. Yeah, that was like two hours after we first met. We filmed that. Oh, I see that this That's is sweet. specifically tainting. The taint brought you together. Yeah, <laughs> you could say that. Yes. Oh, how apropos. Um, I, I I see here too that there's a plot point about the taint poisoning specifically the minds of men. Yeah, uh, it's the taint is designed to be some sort of comment on misogyny and sexism, but it's really hard to tell what the exact point is, because the two lead characters are called Philogeny or Phylogeny, and the other one is Misandry. So, okay. I don't know okay. I went to high school with Misandry. <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> I've listened to the commentary, I don't recall them actually explaining what the point was, but there's definitely something they're attempting. 
we interviewed Drew Boldick and he didn't even know. He was like, um, yeah, well, um, uh, okay, so, uh, yeah. He said he wanted to make the most sexist film possible as, like, a parody of sexism um, because he thought it was so ridiculous, but it's, it's an amazing film for such a low budget, and um, it's very logic, very gory, and it is amazing. Okay. So um, I'm wondering uh, if you have some other general tips for how we can avoid the pitfalls of making this horror movie uh, not suck. Uh, I mean, there is something to be said about uh, campiness and, uh, you know, low-budget horror, but I guess we need to narrow down on on what our objective is, Mason. Like, are we trying to make yeah, the Yeah, I mean, best? we are aiming for not suck. And also, like, who are our protagonists? Do they win in the end? No, they shouldn't. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be even better. Like at the end, everyone's like, "Aha!" So it was the pharmaceutical company after all, and state regulators and the APA come in, and then you know, while everyone's like congratulating themselves and be like, "Well, that was a really great movie we were in," you know, you hear in the background, like you know, investigative reporter talking about months later about how everyone that's been exposed is now being diagnosed with a specific kind of cancer. And you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. oh, geez." I uh, I want like as we're talking about this pharmaceutical outbreak, uh, my mind also pretty immediately goes to uh, like the Resident Evil universe, and uh, would there be some parallels between the Umbrella Corporation and Big Pharma in this we're, thing that we're designing? Oh God, I hope not. Umbrella's so stupid. <laughs> it's it's really very stupid. What is their revenue model exactly? Oops, I tripped and dropped some zombies. I seem to recall making that point in my review of Resident Evil One. Hmm. The um, if you if you want to walk down your kind of film uh, to make it not suck, you sh- what you should you should work out. Are you going for actual serious horror? Are you going for serious horror with gore? Are you going for serious horror without gore? Are you going for camping? Very few horror films try to be one of those things and end up as something else and are still good. Generally, the good ones know which one they're going for. I see. So our our. Our mission objective here has to be clear no matter what it is that we pick. Hmm. Clear to yourselves. You don't, it's, it's not confused. Very few are like a mishmash. The only one I can think of that was an attempt at serious horror was ended up hilarious but was still good was Evil Dead 1. Hmm. Right, mm. right, right. Um, I'm wondering if, if this, this is the kind of thing that, uh, like, I, I don't know if this is a good comparison or not, but... Uh, I feel as though Sharknado knows what it is yes. and is very self-aware. And, that, and even though it's campy parody, it still very much knows. Uh, and that's part of how it was able to be successful, regardless of the quality of it. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there's, there's other things you can do for to, uh, if you decide to go for, like, say, serious horror. Like um, Kubrick's The Shining. Mm-hmm. Very few horror films are like that, simply because Kubrick hated horror films, and he decided to make one partially as a challenge to himself. Um, and so it is not constructed as a normal horror film. There, Almost everything in that is some degree of hitting you on the subconscious. I mean, he went so far as to, make, as to insist that the design of the hotel doesn't actually work in reality. That there, if you if you pay attention to the the design of the hotel, or do as someone did in the nineties, turn it into like a, a level map for like Duke Nukem or something. 
like you can see outside windows where there should be building parts. There's just the, the entire thing's a maze. And that was deliberate. He wanted to subconsciously get you. He hoped that you wouldn't notice that it wasn't, didn't work, but your subconscious would. Uh, so he, he tackled the idea of horror on a completely different sort of level than most people normally try. So there's just this non-Euclidean space that they're in, and that's just a, a subtext that we may or may not notice. But, you know, it took them a while yeah. to figure out, but psych like subconsciously we're not in a space that can be. Is that... Uh... Yeah, the characters never figure it out. If the huh. characters figure it out, it would, be, it would draw attention to it. Another thing he did in the same vein was between shots... Think the background, think items in the background, chairs, pictures, and things, they move. Mm, I like that. Oh. oh, maybe maybe that's something that we can incorporate into our movie, but it's something that ramps up. Like when it first starts out, all of the geometry makes sense, the floor plans make sense, things are where they're supposed to be. But as the movie progresses, it's more and more disjointed. Rooms lead into other rooms, and it doesn't make sense why or how. Things aren't where you would expect them to be in the background. Mm. But because by this point you're more invested in the action, you don't notice it until somebody points it out. So maybe with your character who maybe your main character has actually been gassed by the thing and they're one of the minority who's paranoid and violent and this is the, the taking effect over them. Hmm. That, ah. that reminds me more of like Perfect Blue or like Brazil where things are just sort of slowly getting less uh, uh, coherent, but that's not necessarily what you're talking about because that's a, more of a narrative lack of uh, uh, consistency. Um, but I, I want to make sure that I understand uh, what you're saying about The Shining there, too. Are you, are you saying that, like, Kubrick was intentionally putting things in a different place in a different shot so it would be, like, intentionally, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, inconsistent? That there would be... Uh, uh... Yeah, there's, there's... Okay, there's a documentary called Room 731, I think it's called. It's about mm -hmm. these conspiracy theories about The Shining. Mm -hmm. One of them is about the geometry of the room, the, the hotel being wrong. And that's the only one that's been confirmed. It's, you know, the, the producer of the film, Kubrick's brother-in-law, actually mentioned in an interview, yes, that was deliberate. Stanley was trying to make it a, uh, the, the hotel maze and the maze on the outside, make them sort of the parallel there. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. um, but uh, you say these, uh, these obje objects that are, like, moving in between shots. Uh, now, that not been confirmed, but it's definitely something that happens in The Shining. So either there was a severe, amazing lack of competence in set decoration, or this was deliberate. And I, I tend to go for the, the, the latter suggestion, given it's Kubrick. Right. Yeah, like there's no way that's just a continuity error. That's like, the word. Thank like, you. like I was drinking Coke and now I'm drinking Pepsi. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm thinking about, again about how to apply this effectively to our story. Now, one thing that I liked that you sort of touched on was the idea that our protagonist is uh, gradually becoming paranoid and like a victim of their own rage. I like the concept that we have a single viewpoint character or protagonist. Maybe, like I said, maybe it is in the uh, in the water supply, so a uh, homeless person, so they don't typically encounter a lot of tap water, but they are gradually becoming exposed to it over the course of the film. Over the course of the film, it's becoming more frenetic, more violent. They're having to take more and more violent actions to fend off what they perceive as violent people. But towards the end, you have them frantically 
frantically fighting off people in weird suits with weird guns and so forth. And if you pay attention, you realize these are actually government people or hospital people who are trying to help them, but they're so far gone that they can only perceive them as monsters. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a decent... It's very uh, rationalist horror. Like, every, there's nothing supernatural here. Everything has a really good reason. And it is a really horrific reason if you stop and think about it. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot better than it was Cthulhu the whole time. And um, the, going back to The Shining there, the the, the, the the film version of The Shining, unlike the book, has no definite ghosts. And that was part of what Kubrick was doing with it. That there's mm-hmm. only one moment in The Shining film that requires there to be anything weird going on. That all the rest of it can be in characters' minds. And that is the bit where Jack Nixon gets let out of the out of the storage room, and that even that you, that could be the kid letting him out. So it's the same sort of it's the same sort of thing there again. Hmm. Okay, it sounds to me like because we've gone as rational as we have thus far, Mason, um, mm-hmm. it feels like we are in fact designing something with a serious tone. Um, I'm wondering if that will be able to thread the needle on. Uh, you know, it slowly not descending into madness per se, but but growing more uh, paranoid. I wonder if it lends itself well to that, or if it will read as camp. If we're not too careful. No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking the key is escalating tension. Like you don't maybe a few moments of levity here and there just to sort of get you off balance. But mostly, this whole thing is an exercise in getting you more and more on the edge of your seat, making you more and more tense as the movie goes on until final explosive finale whatever that finale is okay if you can pull that off that's a sign of, a, of, an, of an amazingly skilled person i mean to, to my mind the best skill you can have in horror in making serious legitimate horror is having fewer scares um mm. to my mind probably the most effective horror film ever made was the original japanese version of ring because there's only mm. one scare in that entire film mm. and it builds way up to it excellent also think about who your audience is going to be. I mean, if, if hardcore horror people are going to come see this, they're going to be looking for every trope innately, like almost subconsciously understanding each trope. So if you subvert it a little bit, that makes it a bit novel. I mean, I reckon. Okay, well, okay. let's okay. see how can we do that. Um, what's what's something tropey that we've already said that we can subvert? Uh, we just did one there. Uh, I feel like, oh, what was it? Not the descent into madness. There was something else that sort of came up that was very tropey. Um, I guess just the paranoia of it as well, right? Um, how often is it that the conspiracy theory uh, of, uh, you know, that the 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 paranoia from the protagonist and the big overarching conspiracy conspiracy theory turns out to be right? Uh, Quite wh- often, actually, a lot. Yeah. Of- paranoid fiction tended to grow out of like the cold war and stuff so the the point of the film was the communists are out to get you even though they're being portrayed as like pod people or whatever in this film right and Mm -hmm. then also it can frequently happen that uh you know you pull out at the very end and uh, again like brazil or maybe like jacob's ladder or something that uh towards the very end it's it's all in their mind and oh it's you know it was all a dream or or something again very tropey it's it's it was all nothing what if there was a third option where it's left vague and open to interpretation of was this real or wasn't it? Well, again, that's going to depend <laughs> on you having... Sorry. Wasn't that Scanner Darkly like that? 
Mm. Like right at the very end where they're like, well, he might have hallucinated this or there actually might be a conspiracy. But, you know, either way. Well, if it only happened once and that's all that's coming to mind, (laughs) then that might be uh, close enough to an an original idea. Um, Also, don't do that thing where there's one person that's significantly mentally ill at the beginning and all of their paranoid delusions turn out to be absolutely right. But they were still mentally ill somehow because that's been done a lot. Right, right. Not very good for uh, portrayal of mental health. Yes, we've actually covered that a little bit. Um, The the ambiguous uh, ending that, like a lot of the serious horror, how good it is will depend entirely on the skill of how on the that it's made. Mm. I mean, if if that sort of thing, if you if you reach for it and you get it, then wonderful. However, it's really easy to not get it. Like. A serious horror is much harder to make. A serious bloodless horror is much harder to make than a silly tongue-in-cheek one full of gore. Mm-hmm. It, it what what they're reaching for is so much more attainable. Right. Oh yeah, like the orphanage. The orphanage was terrifying. Hmm. That was just because of like the sheer at the end the sheer concept of it. You're like, oh my god. Hmm. Um. Okay. So I think in order to tie a nice nice little bow on this thing. What I would like to still see for our our idea thus far is I'd like to go over I would like to sort of hammer down the characters a little bit and maybe just give it a name and then we'll we'll leave it at that. Um, so Mason, you, there was some other character types that were were in our idea uh, thus far. Can we go through some of those? Yeah, like we we want to have people who uh, are outside of in some way regular society and that's why they haven't been dosed or they didn't get as uh as full of a dose uh so uh obvious example uh would be like some teenage delinquent who you know doesn't follow society's rules man kind of thing um or possibly like uh, a back to nature hippie type like i could i could see that it's very rare that you have someone like that winding up being like uh a horror or an action protagonist kind of thing. Um, oh, you know what you have to go with, though, almost? The anti-vaxxer mom. Yes. Oh, no. They, 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 only, they only take bottled water, you know, because they're so sensitive. I don't know if yes. I can justify having an anti-vax hero, though. Especially considering the point is that they... You do need people around the hero to consistently die. Yeah, but True. The, the, the the point of the story is that the the person the anti vaxxer would be would be proved right that there is a big farmer badness happening, so that's possibly not the best to have them as, as a hero. That's true, but I just really want to see a character like that die violently. Oh, so maybe maybe it's just the anti vaxxer is is uh, is evading oh, this it. contamination. I got it. What's that? Have your your homeless person mm-hmm. um, who who. Cannot do. Who does not have access to the water? Who gets injured partway through and gets taken in by the by, by the Vaxer family, and um, and through through interactions with them, the both the anti Vaxers and the homeless person, but they both get infected in some way, and mm. uh, sets up the rest of the film. That gets them infected. That means you got those characters sort of getting stuff done. Um, hmm. So, so would some of them be? some of them would be contaminated uh, and it's just completely normalized that, Oh, we were bringing you in here uh, to get outside of this uh, uh, contamination. And then once they're all in the same house, sort of like what contamination? 
Is yeah, that- and of course it drives it drives them apart. It puts a wedge in between them. Like at first they're like it's you and me against the world, but then as they begin succumbing to the paranoia, uh, anti-vaxxer mom is like, "You, we showed you this out of the goodness of our heart, and you brought this corruption into our home. You're threatening our our life." And the uh, the homeless guy, he's like, "No, it's you. You're just as crazy as they are." You know, and. Uh, you know, you're you're part of the problem, and they're they're set on each other. Hmm. Maybe the the homeless guy get, gets run over by the anti-vaxxer family and brought in for medical attention because because the town's in lockdown because of the crap that's going on, so they can't get him to a hospital. I hmm. like it. I like it. So so if she hit him with her car, that's why she feels responsible. Yeah, we could put a weird little scary twist that they administer medical assistance themselves because they're like socio or um, sociologists. They're like you know. One of the weird Christian science sects that, like... Oh, yes. Homeopathy and, like, snake venom, snake charming. Yes. I like the uh, the concept of the hippie in the in the woods, uh, you know, still getting his water from a brook and, like, boiling it on his own fire and, like, uh, you know, getting his clean water that way instead of from the bottles, or, or not the bottles, instead of from the tap. Um, so <laughs> that's how he's been able to dodge it. And isolated from society, he's, you know off doing his own thing camping. Um, that, that, that would work. Hmm. Um, there was also, Mason, uh, uh, there was the idea of uh, an outside authority from outside of the country. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because like everyone, the the government or the big pharma or whatever, all the authority figures are coming in to say, don't worry, we'll clean up this mess. And if you want to reach out for help, I mean, this... This is the 21st century. This movie is going to take place in the 21st century. You're going to try and get on the internet. You're going to say, help, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a whistleblower. I'm trying to draw attention to this from outside. Hmm. And uh, our thought there was that maybe it was uh, the the detectives on the outside that were trying to solve this um, from well outside of this outbreak. Uh, that why not? They could come from Ireland. And then that was your idea that... because you're a whore. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll clean up here where you chemicals spill there. Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, no, I guess that would I don't know. I'm trying to think of it as like the most like surprising thing possible. Hmm. Yeah, the problem with that is the person who is outside of it is not in danger. Well, you know, if you wanted the, that kind of downer ending. I mean, you don't have to look very far other than real life. Like, look at Flint, Michigan. That's yeah. absolutely horrible, and it's still not fixed. That kind yeah. of thing, like, oh, well, don't worry, we finally exposed them, and now, you know, the EPA will come in. But, like, a year down the line, when everyone is being diagnosed with cancer, the government still doesn't care. They still yeah. have to mm-hmm. use the same water and everything like that. And I think yeah. that would be a pretty quiescent no handle. Yeah. Yeah, I do want the bummer ending. Said it's in a in some like Flint, because um, a lot of the best horror has its roots in, in actual social issues of the day. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's not just a bummer ending uh, of the movie. Sort of gives our, our podcast a bit of a bummer ending, too. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, it's not like it's not a social issue of great importance, so I'm glad that we can at least talk about it. Um. So what do we call this Dang. thing? Name, we need a name. Yeah. Water of Life. Ooh. Water of Life. I like it. Life. That's fancy. But the life that they're getting is the one that they 
Well, I mean, that's the thing. If, if, if it just gets to the end of the movie and they didn't contain or, or reverse the outbreak and, and you know, the, the brainwashed masses uh, become the new norm, uh, that water of life is, would be praised as such. Possibly make it for the ending that the if you want to go for the really sort of prescient and uh, dark ending, the government decides to inv- they're sort of referencing at the ending. Um, the government is interested in how to recreate this effect to use in other communities in America because it's turned out to be quite useful that ninety percent of the population are docile. Mm-hmm. Okay, water of life. I like it. I think uh I think simply our verdict of the week Mason should just be like would you watch The Water of Life? Yes, no. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and I would. I, I I would watch this too. I wouldn't mind making it as well. It sounds like a a fun little pet project. But mm-hmm. uh you know, this is all just this is all talky talk. If someone wants to steal our idea, just, you know, give us <laughs> give us money. Original idea, do not steal. Exactly. Um, Diamanda Hagen and the Omega Geek, thank you so much for joining us and helping us design this little thing. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, YouTube mostly. Yeah. Okay. And that's two different channels, right? Diamanda Hagen and, uh, the Omega Geek? Oh, yes. Yep. Um, all of Hagen's reviews and all her stuff and her history videos are on hers. I've got Lesbian Talk, Lex Appeal, and, uh, Psych Media, which is my educational show online. So Which is fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you again so very much. Oh, uh, there is one other uh, little detail we have to uh, take care of before we let you go. Uh, we need a topic for next week. Uh, we would love we a do. suggestion from you if you have one. Just okay. robots. Sorry, what? What you say, honey? Robots and pasta. Oh, awesome. Ro- robots and pasta. Yes. I don't know if that's two episodes or one now. <laughs> uh, robots made out of pasta, robots that cook and serve you pasta. Good, yes. ro- made of pasta. It's just a chef robot. Marco Polo. Hmm. I think we can work with that. All right. I can do that. Uh, Demanda, Omega, thanks again so much, and uh, we'll see you around. See you later. All right. Robots and pasta next week, I guess. Uh, we can do both. We can, we can do both. That's not a problem. If you want to submit a suggestion, you can do that. Uh, tweet at us, H-I-G-A-I show, or email us, H-I-G-A-I show at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to uh, Diamanda and Omega uh, for joining us. And any 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 closing thoughts, Mason? Uh. Stay alert about the government, you guys. Good, great. That's that sounds good. Let's let's. I want that on a poster. <laughs> just like instead of I want to believe, just like the UFO and like some men in black, and then underneath, stay alert about the government, you guys. Yeah, but the, with the, your in, initial presentation, so there's just a couple of ellipses like throughout it. Yeah, yeah. And like, do do the thing that you get on like stoner posters where you've got like the gray, but he's like smoking weed. Perfect. Has anyone right. ever done that before? Has have, has that have those two topics ever come together? before robots and pasta i mean i i meant aliens and weed but 
All right, let's let's call it a call it a night, sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, dear listeners, thumbs up, monorail eggplant. Good night, everybody. Good night. Yep. <laughs>